Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? Derek, we are in an outdoor pavilion next to a massive lighthouse, which is super exciting. But we're with our friends at Buffalo Niagara Waterkeepers. So what's going on, man? You want to introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Chris Morowski. I'm the Director of Community Engagement for Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper. And Waterkeeper is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we've been around for about 31 years now. And our mission is to protect and restore all the waters of the Niagara River watershed uh, for current and future generations. Sounds like an easy feat. Oh, totally. Like we're, we're almost done. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we're you're going to wrap it up in about a week, right? Yeah, yeah So how do you, first, before we get into like the specifics of it, because I have so many questions. I've never heard of this organization before, and there's just so much that goes into it. But before we get in, what is your history like? How did you get involved? What was your studies uh, so my history is I actually got my first degree in business and accounting um, and decided that uh, I don't like business or accounting. <laughs> and so I uh, went back to school. I was really always interested in uh, fishing a lot when I was growing up. So I, I went back to school for biology just because I love fish so much and um, graduated from Buffalo State College with a degree, a bachelor's in biology. Um, and then actually got in for a while, uh, didn't work in the sciences at all, and ran a restaurant, um, nice. a small coffee shop, which we ended up owning oh, sweet. for a short amount of time. Yep. Um, and that was interesting, you know, like instead of grad school, uh, I did ran a business. So it was like a big learning curve oh, yeah. there and learned a lot of life skills. Um, and then um, kind of had to close down the business, unfortunately, but uh, opening at my uh, Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper opened up, which I actually had interned with in college. So I was familiar with the organization um, and I came on to start our water quality monitoring program. Um, and I've been with the organization since 2011 and uh, we have a lot of growth since then. So yeah, yeah, a bunch to talk about. Absolutely. So when did Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper become an organization in the first place? Yeah. So it's a long, <laughs> long history. So it started out as actually uh, Friends of the Buffalo River. And it was a group of citizens 
all uh, kind of different walks of life, but folks that wanted to clean up the Buffalo River. The Buffalo River actually caught on fire in 1968, um, and it was considered dead with no oxygen, nothing living. What? Um, yeah, so we get into it a little bit of history, um, but you know, this is before the Clean Water Act passed, and um, a lot of people think, you know, the, the Cleveland, the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught on fire. A lot of folks know that, but actually our river, we have that claim to fame too, our river caught on fire. I did not know that. Did you know that? Yeah, so what, what, I mean, what they used to do is Bethlehem Steel would empty all of their byproducts right into the water, and then when they did it, they also opened up everything up top, and then the sky would turn orange, and that amount of pollution just devastated the area. Lake Erie always smelled terrible. And then all the waterways that fed off of it, nothing lived, like you said, like all the fish would die. So growing up, that was always the big joke. It's like, just don't even drink the water. I was like, oh, okay. And that was early Mm nineties. So yeah, I mean that, yeah, that's, that's I did not know that. Yeah. So back then, um, so in this is, and then the group came together, um, you know, about 30 years ago and we had a federal program, the remedial action plan program, the, or the, Great Lakes areas of concern. So we are have the um, notoriety of having three of the Great Lakes areas of concern in our area, which are designated by the federal government as they're so gross, they're so toxic <laughs> that they get this special designation. Um, and there's forty, there's forty six of them in in the U.S. and Canada on the Great Lakes. Okay. Uh, so Buffalo River, Niagara River, um, and Eighteen Mile Creek in Lockport are our three in this area and at that time that that group of citizens wanted to lead that process uh to restore the river and eventually we became a nonprofit organization with like staff but the board this this group was a board of director led organization so volunteer organization for like 10 years that these folks our founders you know worked on this stuff on this river and they made us the uh when we became an official uh nonprofit with staff and everything uh we we took the control of this uh, remedial action plan program and we're like the first nonprofit in the country to run one of those, to be the lead agency in one of those remedial action plans. Wow. So where have we come with our water um, in regards to where it was in the late sixties? Um, so we come quite a, quite a long way. It's not on fire. So right. That's a good it's sign. not on fire. Right. It's good. Uh, we don't have as much of the, the constant, you know, toxic pollution going on that was like where our river used to be part of the industrial process, like you were mentioning, you know, you would rinse, you know, rinse water that would be have PCBs and and cancer causing, you know, chemicals in them would just like run right out. And so it was just part of the process. And, you know, the Clean Water Act in 1972 kind of started eliminating that. It took a long time for the enforcement to kick in and everything to be caught up. Um, but then you have that legacy pollution that's just there mm-hmm. sitting, you know, because it's heavy and it sits on the bottom. Um, and then the the funding, the, the Great Lakes uh, Restoration Initiative is like a federal program that luckily we recognize like, hey, the Great Lakes are really important because they're drinking water, you know, 25% of the surface drinking water. Mm-hmm. Um, and they provide drinking water for millions and millions of people in the U.S. and Canada. Um, so we have a lot of funding going towards cleaning them up, but we still have, unfortunately, we still have a lot of ongoing pollution that we're working on. So we have to clean up the old and we have to stop the new pollution. Sure. So, And to give context on that um, in, in the little bit of research, because I didn't want to go into this totally blind, but 
like you said, the Clean Water Act of 72 was in response to the nearly unchecked dumping of pollutants occurring across the country, which that was what he just said with mm-hmm. the industrial process. Um, and then to the extent that two-thirds of the country's lakes, rivers, and coastal waters were unsafe for fishing and swimming, let alone drinking. Like, you couldn't even get in it. Um, and then do you know where we are as a country in regards to, you know, the, the two-thirds? Yeah, so um, I don't know exactly, you know, compared to, to that. I know in the Great Lakes, you know, we still have a lot of that toxic legacy in a lot of those hotspots throughout the country, you know, um, especially in poorer communities and communities of color, there's the pollution is is still high. You know, there's still ongoing pollution. Um, So Waterkeeper is part of an an international Waterkeeper Alliance, and we have over 300 members throughout the world, and there's over 200 in the U.S., so there's like, for example, there's like the San Francisco Bay Keeper, there's the Hudson River Keeper, you know, there's, there's river keepers or water keepers in different parts. Um, and, we, and our partners, you know, down south, they're fighting still uh, pollution from, you know, the legacy of coal, mm-hmm. like coal fields that are leaching into the water, um, big industrial farming that's leaching into the water. Um, I hate to be depressing. (laughs) So uh, we did come a long way, but we still, uh, I always make the point that like, we're not, you know, there's still new ongoing pollution uh, to waterways, you know, that we have to work on. Yeah. So I guess from just living in the Buffalo area, we know about the Buffalo, um, like the water authority. So why is there, and I guess this kind of goes back to what you guys do, but why is there a need for a nonprofit to clean our water? Like, what's the difference mm-hmm. between what you guys do and what the Water Authority does? Sure. Uh, so when when I explain nonprofits, because uh, we have some educational programs, mm-hmm. so kind of start explaining nonprofits to some of the students. Is like I feel like nonprofits exist to fill a gap where government and private business is not meeting the need of the community. So you know, there's nonprofits for every kind of service in the social sector so for ours the gap is like a watchdog to hold not only you know polluters like private businesses accountable but also hold the government agencies that are supposed to be enforcing the laws accountable so you need that kind of like third party independent kind of watchdog um so that that's the role that we play interesting um yeah that's fascinating yeah because (laughs) the i looked at the this is insane, but I went down a rabbit hole and <clears throat> the annual drinking water quality report for calendar year 2018, the city of Buffalo treated over 25.7 billion gallons, billion gallons of water, averaging over 70.4 million gallons a day for a population approximately 260,000 people covering 46 square miles of piping network. So on the highest single day, the Water Authority treated over 82.1 million gallons of water for distribution. And then you guys show up and make sure that that occurs? Well, with, with the drinking water, you know, municipal drinking water, like you're talking about, they do have, you know, regulations where they have to meet certain standards that the, the agencies, that's why they have that report, is to okay. show that they're, they're meeting the certain standards. Um, where we do, we do most of our work, like we have a good drinking water, you know, um, system in Buffalo. We do have the the biggest problem I think with some drinking water throughout the Great Lakes is the service lines, like after the plant, like the the sure. issue of lead pipes, and especially in poorer and communities of color. Once again, uh, where those problems always lie. Um, with, as far as our work, we're usually working on the on stopping the water pollution before it even gets to the drinking water plant. 
So you're focusing on pre-love canal. Right, on the water. Okay. Yeah, that's that's out in the environment like, okay. before it's treated. Um, and that in Buffalo's drinking water uh, comes from the middle of the mouth of the Niagara River in Lake Erie. But, you know, municipalities that are downstream, like here where we are in North Tonawanda, like they're, they're, we're, they're downstream of Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody lives downstream from somebody. So you have to, you know, you have to protect the waters no matter where you are because everybody, everybody lives downstream from you. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. So what is the biggest problem with the water here? I mean, we, we talked about the pollutions and everything, but mm-hmm. like from a, what constitutes our water, what's the biggest issue that we're seeing? Um, so I, th- I think there's two. Like I said, the, the legacy pollution and then the ongoing pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ongoing pollution is mostly from like days like today where we had that rain and now it's nice, fortunately. Uh, but the, the rain is hitting the land and running off and taking with it everything that's on the land, including you know pesticides, lawn fertilizer, oil from your cars that are dripping on the streets, um, household chemicals, anything like that. That's storm water, we call it storm water runoff. So some of that goes directly into the water um, and depending on what communities. And communities in Niagara Falls and Buffalo have what we call combined sewage systems. So the water from your house, when you go to the bathroom, flush the toilet, it combines with the water from your driveway and your roof and businesses and streets, and it all gets treated in one place at the Buffalo Sewer Authority or in Niagara Falls, the Niagara Falls Sewage Treatment Plant. Um, Tends to be in older urban communities, that infrastructure, and it used to be fine to do that because when that system was built, there was still farms in mm. Buffalo within the city limits. Like there was still forests like in the city limits. So the, there wasn't all this um, like impermeable surfaces like concrete and roofs and things. And now there is, so it's, it actually overwhelms our system and raw sewage, like human mm-hmm. poop, you know, we always say that in classes and, and uh, the kids crack up, but like, the, <laughs> you know, your poop goes into the river. Like at, when it rains over a certain amount in sure. Buffalo and you know some of the suburbs, because it's just just there. Yeah, and it can't go anywhere else. It, it's the system can't handle the volume um, from because, like I said, it was built so long ago; it's over a hundred years right. old. So it's just more roofs, more roads, and parking lots. So the way to to work on that is to to you know one you could increase your treatment plant, or you can decrease the volume of water going in. And so the, what they're trying to do, and the Buffalo Sewer Authority in Buffalo is the one that's that's in charge of treating our sewage, and they're working on reducing that amount of coming in and catching it in basins, um, in places where you can slowly release it into the system instead of it all rushing gotcha. in at once. Yeah. So essentially creating dams. Yeah, so, okay. well, uh, underground storage. Yeah. Um, and then there's this great thing called green infrastructure. So you don't need to have it in a, a pipe like what's called gray infrastructure, the more traditional, you could have it go into a big garden, you know, a big, what we call a rain garden. So a garden that can hold the water. Um, you could even, if it's a small enough structure, you could even have it run off into just a green area, you know, but it needs to be, you can't just have a couple people do it. It needs to be kind of like citywide. Like it needs to be mm-hmm. like large scale. Sure. Um, so to solve that problem. So these are like really big scale problems to solve. It's not an easy because one thing you could do is separate. You could separate the sewage and the um, 
the street runoff, mm-hmm. but you'd have to dig up the entire city, right? Can you imagine, uh, like, digging up the entire city? So that's just not an option for Buffalo and a lot of older cities. So um, it's a slow, but they had, there's a process. It's a long process, unfortunately, but um, funding is the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's billions of dollars, like you said. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we have to fight for that funding of uh, kind of like the Hunger Games, I call it, for like actually when we're writing grants and stuff too, it's like we're all trying to get the scraps of like funding sure. to fund these like really important things, which is kind of an issue. So you were talking <laughs> a little bit about the pollution that's already there. Mm-hmm. How do you get rid of like the actual pol- like things that break down in the water and then go sit at the bottom of the river? Like what is that process? Yeah, like, like the pesticides and like DDT. Oh, I was like, going how- like ships. Oh well, no, but like <laughs> yeah. So like, how do you? Yeah, is it all filters or? Well, so the the way you mentioned like the the um, hyd- carbon based, you know, pollutants um, that are come from 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 the fossil fuel industry from oil, PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls, um, PAHs. They're all they're all molecules that are heavy and they have they're based around a carbon ring, so they they sink to the bottom of, of the water and they're in the sediment. So in the Buffalo Rivers case. So that's a good thing because they're not like floating all around in the water mm-hmm. column. They're, we were able to test. This is like years and years of testing of like where the most chemicals are, and then we actually came in. We led this effort with a bunch of different partners, and came in and dredged the bottom of the river to remove the sediment. But it had to be done in like a really careful way, um, because you can't. You don't want to disturb more than you need to, mm-hmm. and in some places it's not possible to get everything out so those places are like capped so that the and the key thing is to just get it out of the ecosystem because uh small little organisms can ingest those pesticides and then a bigger you know uh, say a macro invertebrate like an insect eats a smaller microscopic thing and that uh smaller fish comes and eats that a bigger fish comes and eats that Mm -hmm. and it just goes up the food chain kind of like called bioaccumulation so by the time it gets to where you're catching like a nice big salmon or a bass or something, it's it's got a lot of those PCBs in it, and that's an unfortunate thing because uh, th- we have um, it's called fish consumption advisories on almost all of our fish in the Buffalo River and Lake Erie, and especially for uh, women of childbearing age or kids, we don't you don't want them to eat because it can disrupt you know the reproductive process, sure. cause birth defects and cancer and all kinds of stuff. So it's really a big, I always think about it as like such a tragedy because it's like a loss of being able to just eat the fish, you know, mm-hmm. like you could catch. Live the, off the land. Yeah, yeah, you could like catch the fish and it's so much protein, you know, it's like amazing. Our, our rivers are like the most productive, some of the most productive fisheries and people come out from all over to fish our yeah. river. So yeah, it's a, it's sad, but it, and it's going to take, you know, time, but that's a big thing is getting it out of the ecosystem, like getting it out of the bottom of the river. And stopping more from going in. So gotcha. So do you remove like larger objects from the river, like broken um, down ships yeah, or something like that? Yeah, when they were doing the the Buffalo River, they were pulling up some some odd things like cars and things like that were in there during the dredging because the dredging is like a big, it's like a big clamshell on a oh, right. It's on a crane and there's a barge, um, and the you know the clamshell goes in and it's pretty ac- it's very accurate. Um, it's not just like the construction like you see digging out, out yeah. in the field somewhere it's it's very accurate um and then it it's taken the loading up the barge and then the barge is carting out so it's 
not in the river anymore, which so, is the key thing. So if you have hazardous waste inside the barge, what's the next step with the barge and all yeah. that material? Yeah, good question. That's the number one thing asked ask question that people ask. Uh, so it, it goes into what's called a confined disposal facility, so where it's capped off from the environment for perpetuity pretty much. So you have to you have to put it in somewhere that has like thick walls where and it has to be the thing with um, PCBs and, and chemicals like that. You could if you dewater them, if you take the water out of them, it's like more costly. So they have to be kind of like kept in water and in sediment. So that's where we, we put them in that confined disposal facility. And then that'll get a cap on it when it's full and um, it's away from the environment. Jesus. What was that big word you used? It started with a P, I think. Uh, Where it's like, it, did you mean like eternity? Oh, perpetuity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that like forever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, forever, yeah. Okay, got it. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long as humans are there to maintain the <laughs> right. disposal facility. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Apocalypse comes, I don't know Yeah. what happens after that. but Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's wild. Okay, so, so you essentially are doing everything you can to like remove, I don't know, when the mob like killed somebody and... The early 1900s. And yeah, just, you never know what's down there. Yeah, right? yeah. And then um, from there, there's there's other aspects of life, too. Like, we go in the woods, and there's mosquitoes everywhere, so we spray ourselves. But spraying ourselves with DEET is essentially allowing that same process to occur, like you were saying, where a, a carcinogenic could essentially yeah. reenter the ecosystem. So, like, what do we do? We just don't go in the woods? Yeah, or, well, for me, like... Like, it's a mitigated risk with DEET. Like, I spray it on my clothes um, instead of right on my skin, and then I try to only use it when it's, like, really, really bad. So it's kind of, like, like a mitigated risk. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Unfortunately, yeah, because the mosquitoes could be just, like, just can ruin your entire experience. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and many it's, days. It's crazy because the mosquitoes are food for the bats. Mm-hmm. So it, it literally just, it's the same cycle. It's yeah. just not in water. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, so we li- yeah try to limit you know just we try to limit chemicals in the environment you know, mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. So like, what is a work week for you guys? Like, what is this? Like a forty, like a nine to five, or is this yeah, just whenever? Pretty we much like play? a nine to five. Yeah, uh, we have twenty three staff, and we have a lot of different kind of backgrounds. We have folks that are in the more like planning side, so doing analysis of places that we need to restore. You know shorelines that we need to restore and planning for you know the future of that mm-hmm. where we have folks that are um there he is the groundhog oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. so there's a groundhog He's on, on the property bushes. that eats most of the landscaping so everyone's trying to figure out what he doesn't want to eat <laughs> and then they're going to plant that yeah so we planted a, a native uh plant garden here and all native plants and unfortunately the groundhog enjoys the flowering plants the most. So the most beautiful plants uh, he, he or she eats. And then uh, we're trying to figure out, yeah, we're trying to figure out what it doesn't like. So <laughs> he's creeping around here. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but we were talking about before the groundhog came out. Just like how you... Oh, the work week yeah. and uh, the different folks that I work with. So we have uh, you know environmental planners. We have biologists we have environmental educators we do a lot of educational programs because that's a big part of our mission too is Mm -hmm. just getting getting people educated on the problems and then getting like the political will to to have this these big problems solved Mm -hmm. so it takes a lot of like grassroots education um and then we have an environmental lawyer that that uh i think 
one of you guys went to school with, Margo. Yes. Yep. She's our environmental oh, lawyer. Cool. So we have lawyers. And uh, we don't often litigate, but we have before. But um, a lot of different folks. And so I we're all working remotely right now during COVID, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But it's working, and we're able to do a lot of our work. The we're, we're still doing field work. Like, we do restoration projects with volunteers. Uh, we do shoreline cleanups with volunteers. We, we couldn't do that this year. So this year is, like, a weird... <laughs> definitely right. like an anomaly for us just like everybody else um but we still have motivated volunteers out there doing cleanups on their own which we kind of pulled off this year mm -hmm. as like an alternative um because back when we were supposed to have our big shoreline cleanup which is two thousand volunteers all coming together at over 50 sites and then we have a big party after we had to cancel that and then we didn't know we're like because you know when all the regulations were coming out and changing we didn't even think like maybe we couldn't even do anything with like five people sure. at that point. So we, yeah. we just had everybody doing things on their own. And then we kind of slowly transition. Now we're doing like small groups, you know, we're doing a tree planting um, and maintenance event this weekend in Niagara Falls. So oh, we're cool. having like a couple smaller groups broken up at different sites. So we can still figure out how to do it. So the whole topic of cleaning the Buffalo water is to me, that's just like, if you told me, Dirk, you have to do this. It's like, what is even the next step? Because it's a huge deadline that I'm never going to meet. So what are your deadlines? Do you focus on certain areas to clean first? Or like, what are those intermittent deadlines that help you reach that goal? Yeah, that's a good question. Because it's so overwhelming Absolutely. without breaking it up. So yeah, so we have strategic initiatives that we're working on. Um, and the Buffalo River was, for a long time, pretty much like made our organization. So um, we're still, we're looking for like long-term the step for Buffalo River is like figure out how to make get long-term funding to maintain the habitat restoration that we did and, and after we did the cleanup um, because I, I don't think I even touched on it yet but after we did the dredging now we started to restore so all all the shores of the Buffalo River because there was so much industry they're all like hardened either like concrete walls or metal walls which are not great for wildlife mm -hmm. because they can't get down to the water just like if you were to go down to the water you would appreciate a more gentle slope to get down to the water so the wildlife likes that too mm -hmm. and where the land meets the water is like the most productive part of the ecosystem so we where we could um, because there's different landowners um, and different interests along the river where we could we restored with partners um, the DEC worked on a lot of it Erie County worked on a lot of it the Army Corps of Engineers and the EPA and us and we're planted native plants and kind of broke down some of those like sharp walls and made them more gradual slopes and so we have to maintain that though over the long term like to get it back because it's so far from a natural system mm -hmm. you know it's so it's it's just like so beyond anything that was would naturally maintain itself sure. so you kind of have to give it some love for a couple of years to get it back to that that natural homeostasis kind of mm -hmm. but um, that would be Buffalo River. So now we're our next target is a troubled little creek that I that <laughs> that uh, everybody loves. I live pretty close to it, so I have a sort uh, soft spot for Skajakwita Creek, which is a small tributary to the Niagara River that runs actually underneath the city of Buffalo. Um, and a lot of people don't know that it's actually buried from the Chictawaga line, the city line, the Buffalo Chictawaga line, all the way until Forest Lawn Cemetery. Really? Wow. Yeah. So for three and a half miles under the east side of Buffalo, 
um, there's a creek that's on a big tunnel about 30 feet wide under the ground and it was buried back in the 1920s because it was so polluted people did they thought the solution to it would be like covering it over <laughs> instead of like solving the pollution <laughs> problems um, and it was really really bad with the sewage overflows um, and then also the residents of the who, east side actually lost a waterfront you know they lost a, a waterway going through their community which you know i grew up along playing along waterways fishing and, mm -hmm. and it's like a big loss for all the folks that live in there um, unfortunately so we're working and then when it comes out you know it's the delaware park and hoyt lake and then it flows to the black rock canal but it's very polluted as well because there's a lot of industry like in the black rock riverside area mm -hmm. oh yeah um and then um, upstream there's still there was like pollution from sewage from the suburbs that comes all the way through so there's a lot so we're focusing on Skajakwita Creek as a next big strategic initiative and we just had our Skajakwita September which is a fundraiser focused around Skajakwita Creek for the month of September which is our first annual one and uh, I think we, we had a good success nice yeah. very nice so on current events um, Fredonia was in the news for dirty water uh, were you guys a part of cleaning water in Fredonia at all? Um, so, no. Uh, we actually focus on the Niagara River watershed, pretty okay. much. Uh, we also do advocate uh, in a larger picture for the Great Lakes. Okay. Um, but we do, we in order to have that focus, like, we, we like, because it, it's too big of a goal yeah. Yeah. To, and for our organization. But there is a, a Chautauqua um, lake organization that just became part of our waterkeeper alliance oh cool um so there is folks down there um and then we have uh folks that work on the genesee river in rochester mm -hmm. um, genesee river watch okay. so everybody kind of that's kind of way it is it's like each the waterkeeper model like you take a river and you, you will focus on that okay yeah but yeah there's problems all over yeah but no doubt people yeah. litter yeah um <laughs> in great lakes like a lot of because a lot of our politics in New York are so based, you know, in New York City and mm -hmm. Albany, and mm -hmm. it's it's very different, and it's not Great Lakes oriented a lot as as much as we would like. So we yeah. like to remind everybody, like New York is a Great Lakes state. We have two mm -hmm. Great Lakes. We have you know a huge amount of shoreline of Great, especially Lake Ontario, and St. Lawrence River, and then we have you know Lake Erie. So uh, we we need more. New York has to have a higher voice in like Great Lakes politics. Sure. Now, on that, for the St. Lawrence River, um, it's a, the river, correct? Yeah. Okay. So there was a lot of debate near Greece, New York, and around like Wilson with moving water um, that involved the St. Lawrence River, and mm -hmm. then it flooded, and uh, the current governor didn't sign off on it, and then uh, on a national level, the current president... Uh, didn't have any representation with Canada in regards to what would happen if this ended up becoming a thing, right. um, and then Canada ended up approving it without any U.S. representation and then no help from the state of New York, and then in which case Greece ended up flooding, Wilson, New York flooded, and then it was all under the idea that if they moved the water, I think from Lake Ontario and then kind of flooded like a basin, it would get things back to how it was in the 20s when things were better, but they didn't account for the amount of development that occurred right. since then, and then they flooded people's front yards. Um, so were you guys a part of, like, cleaning that up or having a voice of, like, hey, you probably 
should or should not do that or like where did so, where did that yeah. all come into play so what you're talking about is a super complex complex issue <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um, and you're talking about the ijc the international joint commission because our great lakes and certainly it's river our borders mm-hmm. uh we you know, we work with canada um and i think there's so many commissioners appointed from the u.s and so much for canada mm-hmm. so with with that year and we've we've had the army corps of engineers is the agency that's controlling you know the water it, controlling the the water levels and the planning uh that goes into the you know what what water levels in lake ontario and st lawrence and there's a bunch of hydro projects in st lawrence river and we've sat through presentations kind of explaining the the calculations that were made of how you know you can't flood too much because you know ottawa canada would be underwater you know and we can't <laughs> flood too little because like you said wilson um and we that year there was a crazy amount of precipitation that year yes um i believe it was 2017 um i know that because i paddled in youngstown my i paddled up straight into the parking lot from the boat ramp where you usually like you're down like you know five feet and mm-hmm. it, it's a horrible thing and it's not going to get any better with climate change with the amount of frequent rainstorms mm-hmm. and like unpredictable weather um they that as far as i know with the science was strong on that plan that the the variable was the precipitation and it's happened and actually on the upper Great Lakes as well in Lake Erie, um, which isn't controlled by you know dams and uh, right. downstream. So so yeah, it's a super complex issue. But we didn't we weren't really involved in that, um, just because like I said, we focus on our mm-hmm. Niagara River watershed. Yeah, and it's definitely like a super complicated issue. Very very passionate folks on on all sides of that issue, and we've talked to a lot of folks. But I mean, we've talked to the people at the source and, and seen the science behind it. Um, and kind of like it's it's unfortunate i'm glad that they're putting money into like the resiliency of the shorelines like they just had a big grant program this year from new york state to help the property owners and like marinas and things like make their property more resilient because the great lakes actually like in the long term the shorelines change like mm-hmm. every over year. time like, yeah but when we build things really close to them that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, but like, the view. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> like here, you know, yeah, like really. like we're sitting right by the water. Right. Um, Which so speaking of, is this? Um, how was the wall built? Like, is it just massive boulders to kind of help prevent erosion? Or yeah, okay. yeah. So in areas where um, they, it's called riprap, so big big chunks of limestone, um, because we do get the thing with our rivers too is we get ice scour, and ice like is super damn you know super powerful and can scour you know scour out shoreline so you have the 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 thinking was to build like very armored shorelines because if you have something that's right on top of the water you really have, you have a building you you have to protect it whereas if we have what we like to call a shoreline buffer that's a living you know shoreline mm-hmm. things can things can ebb and flow a little bit more mm-hmm if you have enough of a buffer. So it's like actually more protective in the long term. Like you could lose some vegetation, but then, you know, in another season that that could grow back, you know, versus like having this hard structure. Right. But when you have all like the legacy, the land use choices that were made, you know, over the last hundred years, you have structures like right on top of the river. So you can't really do that living shoreline buffer in every 
every place. But so, what is the formula for that? Like, what would for our area here be like a decent gauge for a living buffer? Yeah, I think it would be to oh for like the the width of it. Yeah, would you say like fifty like feet? Fifty feet is like minimum. Yeah, now I mean hundred feet is better, but it's like like I said, the land use choices were made a long time ago, yeah. so we don't we can't really like rip down buildings and like put the buffer in if you have a, a factory right on the water. Can you imagine knocking on someone's house? Excuse me, ma'am. You need a hundred feet. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, only have fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's like wherever you have the opportunity. Yeah. Um to to have it. And we do have a in the city of Buffalo we have a, a zoning ordinance, the green code. And that we did get based on our input like a hundred foot buffer uh, when possible put in for new development. But you know, some of that gets broken in variances that mm-hmm. are given out from time to time. So we, we would like to maintain that because, like, maintain what you have. And and that's a great, like, motto that we have for our um, headwater forest, too, which we're working on up in our, the we call the upper reaches of our watershed, is there's intact forests that are around the tiny little streams that form the the basis of our watershed like the little streams that flow into bigger streams and then become like the Buffalo river eventually Mm -hmm. is to save what we have, save the best of what you have. Don't knock down any more forests. Don't plow any more forests down to build parking lots, you know, cause those are like protecting the water. They're actually literally like cleaning the water for us. Mm. So that's the thing that we, that we really push to. It's like, just don't do any more damage. Just chill for a while and like let things, you know, restore what you can and, you know, save what you have and, and restore what you can is like our our motto wow it's really frustrating how we just shoot ourselves in the leg every day yeah <laughs> so, over and over again yeah. yeah and land use is like that that causes you know the the, the land use choices that we make are, are control the water quality mm-hmm. that we have you know in the river no one thinks of that yeah well it's it's not that thought of as a long-term you know effect right and and unfortunately, in our region, it's not thought of like holistically. Like we don't have like a whole like regional plan for land use and zoning. Along every every town has their own kind of like own set of plans. So that's thing. It's got to be frustrating for you. Yeah, that's the thing we could work on. Yeah, you know that we could do cohesiveness kind of. and yeah. be on the same page. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One fight, one team. So Damn. one of the big things too that everybody associates with like bad and dirty water is Woodlawn Beach. What's going on with Woodlawn Beach? That might that's not in your purview, yeah. right? But like, um, yeah, it's close. It's uh, there are sewage. The same same issue that I talked about the sewage overflows. Gotcha. That that's uh, like once again, um, that's Erie County uh, purview up there, and they do have a long term plan to fix that. Unfortunately, you know they don't have enough funding to do it in a you know in a year. Yeah. Like it's just a long term. So is all the funding federal or is it state? Um, there's both. There's state and federal. Um, the state's been like really great. Uh, the clean water, um, it's called the uh, Clean Water Fund. Um, and they've been, you know, really putting a lot of money into that thanks to, you know, lobbying and, and environmental groups like really pushing for it. And them recognizing, you know, Governor Cuomo recognizing that our environment is super important mm-hmm. in, in the Great Lakes and we need to restore. So, um so that's been great. So we just got to keep, it's just not enough though. You know, mm-hmm. we just got to keep pushing, you know, but everybody, you know, like when you listen to, um, you know, you listen to the radio of folks from Albany, like every group needs, there's so many issues, you know, yeah. everybody needs funding. Not enough money. Right. <laughs> like, 
so in so our that, current system. <laughs> yeah. So that being said, outside of federal and state, how can local people get involved? How can they help? Can they donate their yeah. money? Can they donate their time? Like, how does yep. that process work? Yeah. So um, for our, our organization, we we get grants for a lot of our funding, um, and what the grants do is they allow you to do a really specific thing. Like, I want to install, I want to restore, you know, a hundred feet of this shoreline. So that grant, you know, might not pay for you to go go teach a, a class of children about, you know, the, the importance of protecting the environment. Mm-hmm. So when we get donations that are like general funds that we can use, that's what helps like do those programs that we need that we, we don't have grant funding for. Sure. So it's like really helpful. And it all, you know, um, has to pay for like, like our our facility well when we had an office to go to mm-hmm. <laughs> before covid but you know you have like things you have to pay for that that grant that grants won't pay for sure so and it and it's all that that lob the um not lobbying advocacy to to push for more funding like grantors don't fund that so we rely on folks to you know provide general donations and support the work that's you know supporting them this mm-hmm. supporting everybody's clean water yeah i mean it's got to keep the lights on yeah yeah. That's crazy. So for like outside of 2020, because this year is a total disaster, but in normal times, like where if somebody wants to send their kid to one of your classes or reach out and find you guys, like where are the main places uh, to reach out and then get that information? Yep. Uh, on our website and there's a bnwaterkeeper.org and there's a tab that says get involved and then there's all the different volunteer opportunities right there and sometimes they're like flashing on the home screen if there's something coming up but and you also can just sign up for our email list that's right on there and then you can go um follow us on facebook twitter instagram Mm -hmm. and then that's about that's actually like the quickest way to like get information is the email and then the the social media because we're just we always push out what we're doing and we, what are your what are your handles too on the social? Um, it's a uh, at BN Waterkeeper for everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah, pretty simple. And we have like over ten thousand followers. So nice. Bam. Always yeah. increasing. Love it. Yeah. So for our listeners too, just so everybody knows, we put out these sweatshirts for um for us to sell, and they're our logo on a very very comfortable sweatshirt, if I do say so myself. Yeah. And a portion of the proceeds are going to Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper, and that's why we only wanted to sit down and understand and have all our listeners who've bought sweatshirts understand your mission statement, and also have you have an opportunity to tell everybody kind of what you're doing here. So thank you very much for everything that you do, and uh, yeah, a portion of these uh, sweatshirts are going directly to you guys. So thank you. Man, that is so great. We appreciate. We appreciate you guys doing that too, and those those sweaters do look really sweatshirts do look really sharp. I'm definitely getting one. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's getting cold. So it is. You know? Sure is. You're all bundled up, man. Yeah. Well, I was out. I was moving boats around before this, so I, and I was getting all wet. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, good deal. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um. Yeah, I think people. You know, I, we really need everybody to buy into our mission. Mm-hmm. Um. So like. People should get involved, you know, get involved with with our, our group or, you know, any kind of group that's working to protect your environment um, and get involved like politically too. you know, like vote research candidates that that have policies that protect the environment and like fund clean water and fund, you know, environmental justice and the cleaning up of like toxics in your mm-hmm. in your neighborhood. Um, just, you know, research those candidates, vote for those candidates. Um if you can, you know, give to environmental orgs or if not, 
you know you could volunteer with us and give your time and, and that helps too because that that provides um like what we call in-kind labor sure. so we can use that as like match towards our our grants from you know the, the hours of volunteer but people volunteering with us so. sure yeah cool and then if, if someone's super busy you can also use that same initiative and just pick up a piece of trash when you walk down the road and just oh, be a decent human being yeah definitely just don't throw garbage on the ground right it's like the easiest thing yeah. to do yeah yeah um, it's funny that's exactly what positive approach who we got these sweatshirts is looking to do in the future is just organize a group of people to go to neighborhoods and just clean up oh, because it's something that people yeah. have the ability to do it doesn't cost any time to do it and it's just so primitive to go and pick up a piece of trash on the ground that shouldn't be there in the first place yeah definitely and like what we say is we we love doing cleanups and we appreciate everybody doing the cleanups and, and everybody knows that does the cleanups is that the cleanups are actually like a band-aid for the larger problem right. of sure. stopping the stuff from getting there in the first place. So we're working on um, longer term, uh, like legislation and things that can prevent, there's things that, we, common sense things that we can do, like just like we have the plastic bag ban mm -hmm. that we're very supportive of and helped you know advocate for, like just stopping those things there from being there in the first place sure. um, by using better products, using you, encouraging more recycling, like we can increase the deposit on like Gatorade sure. and iced tea and all that stuff. Um, and, and Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, and stop that stuff from, from even being there. Cause if it's got a deposit on it, it's more likely yeah. to be brought back. Being proactive instead right. of reactive. Yeah. yeah. So those, so at the same time, cause when a kid does a cleanup, they tell the parents tell us they go around and they're always picking up litter after that, like on their own. So they get that. And so it's a great experience, mm -hmm. you know, for them to come and, and do that. Mm hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Well, do we get I'm glad hour? you guys do that. Do we yeah. get an hour already of this a conversation? Wow. Uh, we're at we're 45 minutes. Oh so, my God. Oh, okay. yeah, it was, it was nice. But thank no you very worries. much. I mean, everything that you've talked about is news to me. I mean, for the most part. Obviously, I'm not going to litter. But, like, everything else <laughs> behind the water cleanup itself was news to me. And I think it's valuable content for everybody. So, thank you very much for coming to sit down with us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys so cool. much for having us. Absolutely. We'll cool. see you soon. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.